You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The new Super Beats Heart Shoes Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. Welcome back in, everybody. Another edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast ready to get underway. I'm going to tell you up front, I'm the somewhat disappointed host. My football, my NFL football gig came to an abrupt end on Monday night with the Dallas Cowboys knocking out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the super wild card weekend finale game of Monday night. We're going to talk a little bit about that game and how the ratings did and a little bit about ESPN behind the scenes. I'm merely TJ Reeves. So yes, we'll press on with other subjects here on this podcast. Besides that, we still I still have my college basketball to go round and round about and, and other ventures. Dr. John Lewis is here to keep me honest, to keep me straight. You read him on the site, sportsmediawatch.com, the owner, the operator, the purveyor of that site. Good to be with you. I'm not requesting any group therapy here from you uh, off that game. Although, I mean, John, you and I talked off the air, and I've talked to so many people the last 24 to 36 hours as they're hearing the podcast. This shouldn't have been a surprise Monday night. It's how the Buccaneers have been playing all year, scoring yes. 3.6 points in the first half, no points in the first half. It looked like most of their games looked, and Dallas deserves a lot of credit. And there you go. The, and this is good for the NFL that the Cowboys won that Monday night game. They stayed relevant with that fan base. So welcome in. Good to good to be with you. Well, the reality of the matter is, the, you know, the Cowboys are America's team and America's team is bigger than America's player. Right. In terms of Brady, I think the NFL is perfectly fine having the Cowboys win. Probably wanted a closer game than that. I think everybody was looking for a closer game. As it is, uh, all the other games on wildcard weekend were close, except, of course, the 49ers and Seahawks. Uh, but the featured game, the number one game, the one that had the highest ratings potential was kind of so-so. Uh, uh, the reality of the matter is that, you know, the Buccaneers are no different than the Lakers, no different than the Packers. They just happen to be in a horrible division. And so, you know, they got into the playoffs and got to host a playoff game because the NFL has a ridiculous playoff format where you can host you know, all you need to do is be the best of four terrible teams. You can have a home playoff game. It's absurd. Right. Jacksonville Jaguars got to do that uh, as well. They're still alive on the wild card weekend. Anyway, let me back up a step. Thank you for finding us. If you found us through John's website, through a social media link, thank you for doing so. Uh, we love the uh, the takes on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. By the way, we have got brother podcasts, including uh, George Offman's seventh season of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know has kicked off. The podcast immediately preceding this one on the Sports Media Watch feed is uh, George's first of two-part conversation with Chris Chelios, the NHL Hall of Famer. And, John, it is worthy of two parts because Chelios has had an amazing playing career, but it's even post-playing career uh, where his business interest, his his interest in international hockey, Olympic hockey, and even now broadcasting with ESPN. It's fascinating, all the different stories 
uh, in and around Chelios. So catch that first episode immediately preceding this one. And then Mike and Phil with the announcer schedules podcast, Phil DeMont Mullen does a great job with announcer schedules, the Twitter handle. Mike Gill does a fantastic job as the host of that podcast. And he's also heard on the ESPN radio station in the Atlantic city area, the Philadelphia uh, greater Philadelphia market Eagles in action this weekend. So Mike and Phil will be out with announcer schedules as they always do. So rate us, review us, find us on Apple podcast, Spotify, Google podcast. Let's go back to that, uh, to that wild card weekend culminating with the Monday night game. So we do have the Monday night number as you and I tape this podcast on Tuesday night and release it into Wednesday. And I, I gotta, I gotta figuratively bow to you. You said, I believe this will be 30 million. I believe it'll be up. And so give me the details here as ESPN and ABC have yeah. pieced together some of it. And it's apparently even with uh, with a one-sided Cowboy win, it's a tremendous number, is it not? Of course, 30.6 million viewers. Honestly, I'm actually disappointed by that number. I think it's the Cowboys versus Tom Brady. I think, uh, yeah, it was a blowout, but it's the Cowboys versus Tom Brady. This, You know, that's that's the best you can get in the playoffs. And I think at a Sunday afternoon window, that would have been uh, at least close to 40 million viewers, mm. maybe surpassing it. Maybe not with the margin of victory. Game. Had it have been a closer game, could it have been 33, 34 million? I think yeah, there were probably a lot of tune outs, especially yeah. in the fourth quarter when it was obviously decided at that point. Yeah, yeah for sure. And the reality of the matter is that, uh, you know, I mean, the, the viewership peaked in the first half. So that tells you everything you need to know. Uh, the audience for Cowboys Bills was exactly the same. Cowboys uh, Buccaneers is exactly the same as for Bills Dolphins on CBS the previous day in that 1 p.m. window. Bills Dolphins, much more competitive game, but people expected it to be a mismatch, right? No one thought it was going to be close. And it was in that one o'clock window. But the reality is one o'clock on Sunday, four o'clock on Sunday. Those are the NFL's primetime windows. That's when people are used to watching the NFL, even more so than Sunday night. Uh, and, uh, you know, certainly more so than Monday night. So I do think the Monday night aspect hurt. Uh, and ESPN and ABC, they're locked into that Monday night window on wildcard weekend. The interesting thing about that is that for years, ESPN and ABC were locked into the Saturday four o'clock window, which is, you know, the window the NFL gives you if they really don't like you. You know, it's like, well, it's. <laughs> you know, this is these, these are not teams you want to feature. Let's put them on four o'clock. That's a Houston Texans time slot, right? Uh, <laughs> or the pre right? The all the alternate game that always goes to like the two markets of the two cities, exactly. and that's about it. Exactly. It, it's it, you know, it, it, and that was what ESPN and ABC were locked into for the first several years that ESPN carried a playoff game, and now they're into the Monday night slot. The Monday night slot is better than that Saturday afternoon at four o'clock slot, but. The year before they moved to the Monday night slot, they got a one o'clock Sunday game. And, you know, if you're ESPN and ABC, I'd rather be locked into that one o'clock Sunday right. than Monday night. I'm uh, remembering off the top of my head. Was that the Titans and the Baltimore yeah. Ravens? It sure was. I think and with it, Steve yeah. Levy and Lewis Riddick and yeah. um, forgive me, uh, Brian Greasy. Yeah. Doing that was that was a couple of years ago. Now, as a reference point, last year's Monday night game, Rams Cardinals, correct? Mm -hmm. And this was nine or ten million more. Huge, yeah. huge bump. Something like that. Yeah, of, of some what thirty percent? Yeah, thirty revenue. Right, nearly a third. So you know, if you're ESPN and ABC, you're happy with that. And you know, the Ravens Titans game, the Sunday one o'clock game, I'm referencing, was not as big a draw as Cowboys Bucks. Of course, but I suspect Cowboys Bucks in that time slot. Sunday, one o'clock, 
it's going to be better. You know what I mean? So Monday night, I think you see that there's a ceiling, even though it wasn't a good game. Cowboys Buccaneers is the best matchup you can get on paper uh, for a wild card game. And so if the best you can do in terms of matchup is only getting you 30, I mean, only getting you 30 million viewers. Right. But, you know, it is only 30 million when you can get 40 million. Right. So, but in context, there's nothing else on network TV or anywhere yeah. that's getting five or six million. That's just, I mean, it is by well, far just devastating everything that's regularly on. Don't discount what the night court reboot is going to be able to draw. Stop <laughs> it. You brought that out too early. That's supposed to be later in the show okay, sure. where I'm putting John Larroquette on blast. For destroying the legacy of the Harry Anderson, John Larroquette, Marky Post, Richard yeah. Mull. Uh, was it Charles Robinson, the actor playing Mac, I believe? Uh, you know, what's interesting he's, is he's destroying the legacy of that by being involved with the new one. Now you got me started. You should not have done that at the beginning of the show. You and I have been doing this long enough. Yeah, you should have true. waited to set me a lot more. This. We're going to have a lot more night court discussion later on. I will okay. say. I've watched a lot of All in the Family, a lot of good times. I've watched Brady Bunch and Happy Days. I never got into Night Court at all. Mm. Uh, it never aired in syndication. And when I did finally find reruns of it, they looked terrible. It was on some weird channel. I don't even know if it exists anymore. It was all washed out. Everything looked just so faded. And because it's set in a Night Court, you just feel like you're watching dirt and grime. And just, you know, it's like, ugh. It's like, I don't want to watch this. You know, give me a nice... Bright, shiny uh, Brady Bunch home, you know. I understand. Uh, so, in any event, um, back to the NFL. We should make mention of the audience. You and I are doing the podcast, and because of the Martin Luther King holiday, the ratings are not officially out until later Wednesday. They need to read that on the site. You'll have the post on the site as you're hearing the podcast and its release. You'll have it. We we anticipate though, uh, with the matchups and the and the games that we had i mean the jacksonville comeback was tremendous on on saturday it had to have scored some with the comeback granted it's jacksonville and la the chargers not the rams the defending champions but that sunday slot like you've been talking about the 4 p.m eastern window had a yeah. very close game with new york yeah. uh involved with the giants involved that our educated speculation that had to be 35 to 40 million yeah, for sure. I, we would be shocked if it's not right yeah i mean i don't really know why fox didn't put out fast nationals uh i mean i'm not unhappy uh, fast nationals are extra work right you know uh certainly but uh you know i mean i suspect that probably was close to that number maybe 38 million 38.3 sounds right to me we'll see if i'm right tomorrow but uh, i think uh that was a great game new york market better game than i was expecting uh you know kind of two teams that weren't that impressive all season the vikings one of the least impressive you know what were they 12 and 5 teams uh, that, that they had won an incredible ele record 11 one score games that's the first yeah. time all year they lost a one score game but bizarre the cowboys had destroyed them the vikings had recently destroyed them and the colts they, did they they and the and the colts were beating them in the first yeah, half exactly. before the big comeback but they went into the playoffs with a with a minus scoring margin despite wow. winning 12 games because when they lost they lost horrifically yeah. um so in any event the giants eliminate them and the giants now will play the philadelphia eagles that will be interesting in the prime time for this weekend the cowboys now play the 49ers in that coveted late game 
Sunday for that number. Again, check out all the ratings, all the number, uh, all the numbers, all the info. I can share with the audience. Uh, I think fans enjoy this. Uh, people that listen to this podcast that are fans of ours. I presume that we have fans. You have fans. I don't know yeah. if we have. Do we have fans on the podcast? We probably do. Let me relay this because I gave you a taste of this. Um, ESPN and ABC will be televising a Super Bowl again. ABC used to have the Super Bowl. Yep. And when is that? In a couple of years? No, Something? it's actually way down the line. 2027. So Wow, uh, you got to wait that long. I thought it was only a couple yeah. of years from now. Okay. Yeah. That that looked like a Super Bowl rehearsal from a technical and production and crew and personnel standpoint. Good Lord, John. I mean, they practically treated it like a Super Bowl Monday with the pregame shows. Downtown Tampa had first take with Stephen A. Smith and Michael Irvin. Molly Karam is the as the host downtown on the, at the convention center or the waterfront with the uh, the great you know views in the background. They then were live at the stadium like a Super Bowl pregame show with the NFL live for like three hours outside of Raymond James Stadium. Picturesque Monday, great weather. I, I walked around. I counted six television trucks. On a typical NFL Sunday, there's about three. When an NBC or Monday night primetime game is there, usually four, maybe five. It was amazing the army of people they had, the cameras, the equipment, the technology. It was like a Super Bowl production It's just what I'm sharing with the audience and with you. So what you saw, and I know they had the Manning cast and they had other, you know, they had alternative broadcasts. They had ESPN Deportes with reporters and people everywhere. Um, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll publicly give him a shout out. John Sutcliffe from ESPN Deportes, who's obviously on their coverage. If you don't speak Spanish, you probably don't know a lot about him, but he is very much a professional. He and I. Uh, are always, whenever there's a Monday night game, always in contact, communication. He was coming over, talking with me. He works very hard at this. Uh, and he's brought along some protege uh, other reporters in that regard, too. And this is a big deal with Deportes. And as he was saying to me, Mexico is a humongous Dallas Cowboy fan market. Uh, and they had the Cowboys play there previously in the Mexico City International game. So he was saying that to me, that they they knew they were going to have extra audience in, in, on Deportes because of the Cowboys and a big deal for the playoffs. So I just I convey one more time. It was amazing. The personnel there for a for a wild card game that was almost like a Super Bowl rehearsal at Raymond James Stadium to see. Uh, that kind of uh, television coverage and that kind of stuff. Uh, I know there's another subject here, too. Speaking of the Jaguars and that epic comeback with the Chargers, one of the great comebacks in NFL playoff history, didn't quite match the Bills' 32-point comeback on the wild card weekend uh, over the Houston Oilers, very famously down 35-3, came back and won in overtime. This was down 27 nothing first half, came back to win the game, what, 31-30 on the field goal? Uh, but uh, Al Michaels is uh, being criticized. John, where do you come down on his call and the lack of enthusiasm, awareness of the moment? What do you? What did you make of that? He and Tony Dungy in the NBC booth, they had not worked together before. You had a dramatic finish. John, what did you make of it with all the criticism going everywhere? Well, it was an interesting set of circumstances, right? You know, I wasn't really paying that close attention to the game because, you know, I have other things going on. It was 27 nothing at the half. And so you use the announcers as your, you know, you keep your ear out, right? And you listen for something, you know, should I be paying attention to this? And, you know, I'm looking at the score, but I'm still waiting for the signal from the announcers that I should pay attention. I'm still kind of not paying much attention. And then you go, wait a second, 
Jacksonville could win this game. And you, you know, as a viewer, you're kind of having to fire yourself up because, you know, normally the announcer does that for you. That's kind of the whole point. Right. Uh, and so uh, you're like, oh, wow, I better get into this. This is actually a really exciting finish. Uh, uh, I kind of wish Alan Tony had told me that that was going on. <laughs> I would have looked up from my computer earlier. Look, the reality of the matter is um, Al didn't do a very good job. And, you know, um, the quotes that have been shared from him, he, he was texting with Andrew Marchand of the New York Post and uh, referred to the criticism as Internet compost, which is great, you know, that's that's fantastic, right? Ninety nine percent of the Internet is compost. So I can't disagree with Al. Uh, of course, my site being excluded and in this, you know, in the name of being a good uh, a good sports media citizen, awful announcing and the big lead and everybody else also excluded all the compost is all the political sites. Right. But anyway, uh, you know, Al comes off a little bit worse if you look at the uh, quotes in isolation than in context. Um, you know, so I'll quote him fully, uh, Andrew Marchand, and this is in the New York post. You can go to the New York post website. Uh, I mean, you know, you don't have to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you're just, you're giving attribution. Keep going. Exactly. Uh, so Andrew Marchand asks Al Michaels, what did you think of Saturday night's broadcast? Al says, very happy, had never worked with Tony Dungy and it felt extremely comfortable. It was like doing two different games, first half, second half, tons of fascinating strategy, nothing like postseason in any sport. Uh, must have gotten a hundred texts from folks who were very happy to see me back on NBC. Read some comments that we didn't sound exciting enough. Internet compost. You know me as well as anyone. No screaming, no yelling, no hollering. It's television. Ellipses and captions are sufficient when pictures tell the story. But of course, that's not necessarily the spin. whole story. Right? That's a little bit of so, spin. Yeah. Keep going. He continues on. He says, I'm not doing a game for over the top YouTube hits and then asks Marshawn, what do you think? And of course, Marshawn, being someone who watched the game, says, mm-hmm. I, I'd say it liked, it lacked energy, which, of course, it did. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, look, Al, no one was upset with Al Michaels because he failed to live up to the Gus Johnson stuff, right? Um, he, he failed to live up to the Al Michaels stuff. We know what Al Michaels sounds like on an exciting call. And and it's not sleepy, right? Now, of course, Al is seventy eight years old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, let's let's just be a hundred percent totally real here. That's life expectancy, right? Right. That's you know, it's it's almost unfair to ask a seventy eight year old to be able to do the job as well as he did it, even at seventy two. There's a world of difference between seventy two and seventy eight, much less going further back ten, twenty, thirty. Right. Years. Of course. So, you know, if he didn't have the energy, of course, very, I, I, you know, Joe Biden doesn't have the energy at 80 as the president than he did. I mean, the difference between Vice President Biden and President Biden, we all see it, right? So I'm not going to judge Al for failing to be Al, but I am going to say he failed to be Al. I'm not going to judge him for it. But it's it's evident to everybody that why do that you think that it. was? Do you think, as some have theorized, that a season of doing the Amazon Prime games that were largely bad matchups, bad games, almost is beat him down the wrong, maybe too yes. strong? You know, it maybe desensitized him to bigger moments. Because again, when you come out, we've explained this. When you come out of the environment that you're doing one of the best games every week, they're even flexing into a better game for you. And now you're on a slate where where the games are there, they can't be moved, and a lot of them are bad games, that it almost gets you beat down 
where you're at the end of a season and this is just the last game that I'm doing, which is the last game that he is scheduled to do here with yeah. NBC. Is that is that fair? Dis disinterested is another word that I heard being used. He seemed mm-hmm. almost disinterested. Yes, uh, at times. Are those, are those fair? Well, if you ever watched Al Michaels do the NBA, it was a very similar set of circumstances. He, he, ESPN and ABC, they bring in Brad Nestler in year one to be the NBA voice. It doesn't work. So they have to turn to Al. Mm-hmm. Al, you know, didn't really seemingly to me want to do the NBA, but if they offer you enough money and give you a good enough schedule, you'll do it. And uh, the first year Al did the NBA, he was inexperienced, but it worked a little bit better. He was working with Doc Rivers. The Lakers were good. The games were compelling. He got that Derek Fisher point four shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was some energy there. He still was not, you know, the voice of the NBA because it was his first year doing it. And in but, fairness, this is 20 years ago when Al's in his mid to late 50s. Yeah, that's so keep going. Early 50s, I think. And could keep going. Look, he had great chemistry with Doc Rivers to the point where they're good friends to this day. Now, Doc Rivers leaves after one year to go coach the Celtics, right? Never comes back to TV. Hubie Brown is his partner the next year. Doc Rivers is, one, a lot younger than Hubie. Two, very personable. That's why Doc has survived in coaching for as long as he has with some not-so-great records because media people love him, right? That, that He's got that charisma. Hubie Brown is a teacher. Hubie Brown is a, an old-school college professor, right? Uh, and, you know, there's there just isn't that same rapport. So year two... You can sense that Alice is waiting for, as to quote Bill Simmons in an article from that time, the Hall of Fame game, right? You could tell that he just wasn't into it. The energy wasn't there. The enthusiasm wasn't there. And he wasn't, it wasn't particularly strong. His work was not particularly strong. I mean, you know, uh, even the Robert Ory call on the game five uh, shot, it's, it's just not a strong, confident call that you would expect in game five of the NBA finals. So we've seen this with Al before. I think he's got to have a good partner. Kirk Herbstreet is a great analyst, but he and Al, they're not oil and water, but, you know, I don't know. They're they are kind of like, uh, you know, when you mix in uh, like uh, some powder, but the, the water isn't warm enough. So the powder just kind of, you know, stays okay. on the top. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like, going with you. I'm, I'm rolling with you. I'm not sure. I'm, on yeah, your but, mixture, it's just things that don't go together. Oil and water. Is yeah, it, it's not oil and water, but it's 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 not mixing quite well either. Right. And then putting ketchup uh, on hot dogs in my world. Continue. Yeah. Well, well, ketchup does belong on hot dogs. No, it doesn't. You and I disagree. I've never had a I've never had a a hot dog without ketchup. Mustard on hot dogs, ketchup on hamburgers. I'm just saying it doesn't necessarily go together. Ketchup on eggs. You're an eggs guy. Ketchup on eggs or Tabasco on eggs. I would never have ketchup on eggs. It doesn't go together. That's just all I'm saying. Now, ketchup on wings. That's not too bad, right? Is that all right? But but again, the point is, he was kind of thrown in with Kirk right. Street. He had been exactly. working for so long with Chris Collinsworth. Yeah, again, and- again, and, and a couple more other points. All right, so like if you go back and relive on YouTube, his call with Chris Collinsworth when the Bears lose to the Eagles on the double-doink field goal. Yeah, It's not him yelling and screaming. It's exactly. the key moment of the game. It's the very end of the game, and he's, not, he's out. So when yeah. he's saying that to Andrew Marshawn with the quotes – that he, I mean, he's not going to be a guy. If it's a if it's a bomb for a touchdown in the final seconds, you'll hear a more animated call than a field goal. Right. I thought too that they were maybe a little confused. I'm defending them here. On the camera angle was a little tough because they yeah. were using the lower level camera angle. 
and there was also a flag on the play, which they yeah. were flagging the Chargers for the leaping foul of trying to jump over the line, and you're touching somebody when you do it. That's illegal. So now there's a flag, so you're uncertain for a second. Wait a minute, there's a flag. He did pick up on that right away, Al. Yeah. He said, hey, there's a flag on the play. Are we going to have a re-kick? Maybe. So there was a lot there. But clearly, like you hear Ian Eagle on the National Westwood one call of that moment. He rose to the moment on radio. He yelled out about the field goal, the comeback. You didn't have that from Al. Again, Hall of Fame broadcaster, but not not above being uh, – at least criticized for right. how he called the end of an epic comeback. Yeah. So, and you know, we know what Al, like I said, we know what Al sounds like when he's excited in, in a call and he's not Pat Summerall. He's not Pat Summerall. Pat Summerall, we, we, you knew what to expect. Right. right? Uh, you know, I've, uh, when I, when I was, uh, uh, you know, using examples to show students, right. I, I, I would always bring in, Pat Summerall's call of the Patriots' first Super Bowl title, because you know you're teaching a bunch of Boston students, so it's right. You know, they love the Patriots, but they're all too young to have actually seen that 2002. Don't Super Bowl. tell me that. Of course they are. You realize that they're too Park young Day. to have seen the Cowboys playing the Steelers in the 70s. You're telling well, me they're too young now to have seen 2001, 2002. You realize that? Am I getting freshman, that old? I know. I know. Was born in 2000. 2005 I know, as I know. Year, right? I know. <laughs> but you know, look, the reality of the matter is that they, they're too young to have seen that 2002 Super Bowl. I'm listening to radio people <laughs> in the market where I am that are talking about how they're not old enough to remember the Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl. And I'm going, yeah. I'm not that I'm talking about the 2002 John Gruden Super Bowl. Yeah. And I'm going, I can't be that old, but okay, I get it. And, and he was very undersold on that right. famous call, like what you're talking about. He and didn't. I always, I would always ask, like, what did they think of this call? And, no, like the answer. And of course, they they're like, well, it's underwhelming to them because they expect a little bit more. They don't have that point of reference with with Pat Sumrall. And you know, obviously, Pat was able to be the way he was because he had John Madden. It didn't work for Joe Buck. Joe Buck really, honestly, wasted the first ten or so years of his time calling NFL games chasing Pat Sumrall's style when it didn't work for him. Right. Pat Summerall style worked for him. People knew to expect it. With the other announcers, you have a different expectation. One is based on the history of that announcer. Al Michaels, do you believe in miracles? Mm -hmm. 40 what? Three years ago? Correct. Right? So 43 years, He's that's been his most famous call. He didn't say, and the United States wins. You know, uh, there's a flag on on whatever the equivalent <laughs> of the flag is, right? There so, could be a penalty on the final yeah, play. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. So we knew we have 43 years of expectations with Al, and we also have a solid 20 or so years of expectation, just generally of what we uh, are accustomed to from announcers, which is a little bit more excitement. It wasn't always that way. This generation of announcers, the the Marv generation, Harlan, Ian Eagle, mm -hmm. all the folks from the 90s, they are very different from even like Keith Jackson, who had his, you know, the whoa Nelly and things like that. Even Keith Jackson is closer to that Pat Summerall style. Of you know what's interesting, all right? So your students make that po point, and I've been I've been fooling around. I will do this at times just because I enjoy doing this with you and I enjoy it anyway. I'll go back and watch old clips and some old games. You watch Pat Summerall, and this is on YouTube, in the late 70s calling games and even the early 80s. He was much more pronounced, much more descriptive, 
the reserved Pat Summerall, the fewer words Pat Summerall, the underselling of it, that became like about 84, 85. And even when he then got to Fox in the early 90s, it continued. That was not always the case. It, it's just it's it's a contrast. And, and I would say to anybody in the audience, including John, just go back and you can find some of this stuff on YouTube. Like I was I was watching. Uh, so so, for example, Summerall's not on the famous Joe Montana to Dwight Clark game. That's right. Vin Scully and Hank Stram calling that game on CBS. What CBS would often do is they would alternate announcers. They would pair different announcers with different play-by-play guys in the same playoff season. They'd mix them and match them. Summerall did radio that day with Jack Buck calling the play-by-play. All right, so that's just that game. But, like, you watch Summerall calling, like, the 84 championship game with Montana and the – and the 49ers beating the Chicago Bears. He's more animated. He's more descriptive than the Summerall you knew later in the 80s and in the uh, and in the 2000s at being understated. He kind of evolved into calling less and underselling it. So I just bring that up. I bring that up because I've been watching that and it adds to discussion about postseason football on TV. Like Mike Tirico was very animated on the Sunday night game, including the Sam Hubbard 98-yard fumble return. And my Lord, when are you not going to get excited? When yeah. I mean, if, if you can't get excited on a play like that, which right. is a 14-point swing in the fourth quarter of a playoff game, where again, the the Ravens quarterback, uh, Snoop Huntley, is diving over for the potential go-ahead touchdown and the ball gets knocked out and a defensive lineman now has it in his hands and is going 98 yards the other way. Tariko's call is tremendous and he's animated on that and i think al would have probably been animated on that as well on that kind of play so go ahead i'm kind of monopolizing that anything else you want to say on that well you know i i will say probably the biggest problem that al had was mentioning the the flag that distracted him it reminds me of when he did the pistons call i take it back to the nba again he's he's in the middle of, of saying the pistons have just won the title but the uh the explosions the celebratory explosions go off in the arena and he's distracted you know, and so uh, maybe I'll even try to load that up at some point. But right. you know, he, he kind of steps on his own call by being distracted by something. Look, when it comes down to how do you handle and I'm not an announcer, obviously, but how do you handle the call when you don't know if it will stand? Do you go full bore? Right. Or do you hold back a little bit. Uh, you know, when uh, when Anthony Davis, well, no, it was Anthony Davis. It was uh, who was it? Uh, OG, OG and an OB hit uh, this game winning shot with like five tenths of a second in the bubble back a couple of years ago in the playoffs. Brian Anderson's call was like, well, will it count? And, you know, you can't really use that call years down the line because you want, right. for, you know, for posterity, if it's going to count, you want the call to make it, you know, that it's going to count. Uh, and um, or even actually, I kind of forgot about this, but the great Mike Breen. Mike Green, you know, one of the best ever to do this, completely botched the call at the end of Net Celtics game one back in April, uh, if anyone remembers that. Mm. Uh, and uh, uh, let me see if I can find that because um, it happens. It, yeah. and, and Breen has done so many playoff games now for two plus decades that sometimes a call at the end of the game isn't what you would want. But it's different in the NBA when you're working every game of a series, series after series. In the NFL, you're working one game a weekend. Yeah, so basically, you know, uh, this is the Jaylen, Jay, uh, Jason Tatum game winner at the end of game one, and Breen says they wave it off, they wave it off. But of course, they hadn't waved it off. He made the mistake, right? So do you include 
you know, the officiating in your call of a great mm -hmm. play? Or do you just call it as if it's good? And then if it's waved off, do you add that part? Maybe that's what Al should have done. Just call it as if it's good. And then after a beat, you say there's a flag on the play. You know, I don't know. I, I, I mean, again, I'm not an announcer, but I think that was more than anything what what ruined that call for Al. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. We got more takes coming up here on the podcast. Are you a diehard NBA fan, but you don't have access to watching every live moment? Well, we got a new mobile app, Buzzer, the ultimate destination for all your live NBA needs. And with this app, you can watch the most exciting moments of every NBA game. But here's the best part. You don't need a subscription. You either pay 99 cents per moment or utilize the in-app currency called Buzzer Credits, and the action is then free for you. And we've got a promo code to find out more about Buzzer. Use the promo code SMW100. That's SMW100. And your first $60 of live basketball is part of the offer. Download the Buzzer app if you're an NBA fan. Remember our promo code SMW100. That helps you get $60 worth of live basketball. Go find Buzzer if you're an NBA fan. And from us, at Sports Media Watch, remember the promo code SMW100. Okay, so that leads us now to the matchups this weekend. Just give me a quick thought because the Saturday Kansas City-Jacksonville game will lead things off. That is NBC. Yeah. Uh, and then Saturday night will be Fox with the Giants and the Eagles. 
Sunday, the Buffalo Bills-Cincinnati game, which will have so many different uh, storylines, obviously from the collapse of DeMar Hamlin a couple of weeks ago, and now the same two teams are playing again, this time in Buffalo, not in Cincinnati. And by the way, it's the third straight week that Jim Nance, Tony Romo, and Tracy Wolfson will work a Buffalo Bills game, the regular season finale, followed by the... um, uh, playoff win by Buffalo over Miami, and now this game with Cincinnati. That will be CBS early uh, or earlier, what, 3 Eastern time, and then the 640 Eastern, 340 Pacific 49ers-Cowboys game. Yeah. That that one we've already covered, we think, could easily be 40 million, Cowboys-49ers. Oh, yeah. What about Buffalo-Cincinnati earlier? A thought on what kind of audience oh. we might be looking at, standalone game Sunday? That could be 40 million as well. You add in the DeMar Hamlin uh, uh, storyline, the possibility, maybe he's at the game. People were saying he was going to be at the game this past weekend. Didn't happen. Maybe this, maybe it happens this weekend. Uh, the fact is people were anticipating that game two weeks ago. Uh, this is a reason why the viewership was so high for a game that was halted in the, in the, in the first quarter. And it wasn't just the breaking news aspect. The viewership was that high to begin with. Right? So people are interested by this matchup. And uh, the reality is, to me, as long as it's close, 40 million, you know, remember that early window, it's a three o'clock window in the divisional round, just like in the, uh, in the, uh, conference championships. So you're mm-hmm. still, that's basically that four thirty PM window for most of it, where the viewership is highest. So I would say maybe, maybe a solid 40 million for both games, you know, the Saturday uh, night uh, game, giants, Eagles, massive markets. Yeah thought yeah. on what that might do educated guess last year was a uh, uh, uh let's see 49ers packers you're not gonna do better than that that was 37 million i mean that's just a nicer matchup uh but 33 34 million i could see for that and of course jaguars uh jaguars uh, chiefs if that game is close last year in that same window was uh Bengals Titans and that was 31 million for Bengals Titans wow. not exactly the best matchup so that should be up pretty comfortably I want to run one more thing by you we don't know what Tom Brady's going to ultimately do everybody in Tampa Bay wants to know that Brady's going to take probably some time it's not going to be this week to decide whether he's still playing I have theorized he will not be in the booth I know that but I have theorized he might be at the Super Bowl coverage as part of their pregame show their long elaborate pregame show in Arizona Do you buy that, that he's eventually going to end up at Fox? Do you subscribe to what some are saying, that maybe that agreement with Fox is tenuous now because he came back and played and didn't didn't end up in the booth with Kevin Burkhart to call this season and to call the Super Bowl, and that Brady may never follow through and work with Fox? That, That may go away. I don't know where you come down on that. What do you think of my theory, though, that he might be there at least for the Super Bowl pregame, not to be in the booth? Well, I think that's certainly possible. I mean, why not, right? I mean, Nick Saban's always there on ESPN's college football playoff mm-hmm. uh, pregame when the you know when the when Alabama's not in the game. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that wouldn't be too surprising. Will Brady actually follow through and and be part of the Fox crew in the future? I mean, I don't know. I mean, just that whole thing is so ridiculous. Three hundred seventy-five million dollars for what? I mean. In the moment, it was a big deal, but then he went back and played. And now we have like nearly a full year of distance to really marvel at paying someone $375 million to stand, you know, off to the side while the play by play, <laughs> while the play by play guy does half the work. Look, I mean, 
it's a tremendous waste of money in my view. And you know what else too? All of this is happening. The oh, you know, honeymoon is over. All of this started because we all decided that Tony Romo had reinvented the wheel. I still like Tony Romo and I enjoy Tony Romo, but I'm also a casual. So Tony Romo just making funny noises, you know, like a cartoon bear is perfectly <laughs> fine to me. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I could care less about strategy, you know, to me, hey, that's that's perfectly fine. I'm a casual fan. The NFL is the NFL. There's a lot of casual fans. But is he actually, you know, I mean, I, I would tend to believe that the people who have criticized his work as becoming more stick focused are probably correct. Uh, and uh, certainly, you know, I mean, he's been a great asset to CBS. But, you know, this whole thing about let's pay, you know, let's back up the Brinks truck. If you're getting a pairing like Buck and Aikman, and you and you really sorely need a new direction, and that's no disrespect to Levy and Riddick and Greasy or Orlovsky or whatever, but ESPN sorely needed. They needed the an established team. They couldn't keep bringing up mm -hmm. the, the number two or number three college football guy to do the NFL, right? So that was worth the money. But Fox, you know, Burkhart and Olsen were working together for years. Well, oh well, a year, mm -hmm. <laughs> not years. I mean, hey, give them credit. It feels like they've been working together for years. I mean, they already have a team. It's not the most, you know, exciting team in the world, but give them time. They could build their way into being, that, uh, you know, that, that kind of team. And I mean, spend $375 million on, I don't know, <laughs> developing a single watchable, you know, live action series. Uh, maybe, maybe do that if you're. But I come back to two things. One, the money is there for the announcers because they are making much, much more than that and have the ability to pay it. Uh, obviously, and it goes back to the phrase, "Whatever the market will bear." Exactly. Here. You're worth whatever the market will bear. And once, once the agents, the broadcast agents, and the agents find out what somebody else is making, and the bidding wars start. With the musical chairs on whether Romo was going to leave CBS, was he going to go to Monday Night Football? Was he yeah. going to go to Fox? When 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 Aikman decides to leave Fox and go to Monday Night Football, and the agents have okay, what is this guy getting somewhere else? There you go. All right, so uh, we'll see if Brady resurfaces. What happens with him? Uh, what happens with him continuing to play or not? By the way, there is precedent. I mean, Fox was using Greg Olson as an active exactly. player while injured and auditioning him. So it's not beyond the realm that Brady could still be a quote-unquote active player and be part of their Super Bowl broadcast. And other active players have been part of Super Bowl broadcasts or, or well, championship broadcasts too. You know, the other thing too about all this, $375 million is a lot of money. But Brady is going to have a worse job than Peyton Manning because Peyton Manning works 10 games a year and he sits in his, I think it's his house, isn't it? Yeah, that's correct, in a home and studio, yes. He does what he wants to do. And, you know, working from home is great. That's why so many people get really angry when you do it, right? <laughs> and so... Uh, and you're talking to two guys. You've been doing this for a while. I have been doing what I am doing right now with you and working out of the house and hosting live on Sirius XM Radio, hosting live on Fox Sports Radio out of this same office where you see me, John Lewis, for over 15 years. And I continually joke, you can't beat the commute. And you know the same oh, thing. You can't exactly. beat the commute to work. You can't meet. You can't beat the conveniences of yeah. work. So I understand. I, I agree with your point. He's not working as many games. Peyton and Eli 
and they're they're essentially doing it from home and this is it's revolutionized working yeah. from home and fitting the way that broadcasters broadcast has revolutionized you know, it for the talent for the TV right. end all of that stigma of remote broadcasting Peyton and Eli are doing remote broadcasting every single solitary week that they do that show every single week i was uh, somehow i was watching it was actually a great game from like yesterday. I think it was like Arkansas versus Vanderbilt women's college right. basketball. Right. And uh, they were re-airing it on SEC network and the announcers were in their homes. And I'm like, how dare you do this? What year do you think it is? And then I realized, wait, isn't that what Peyton and Eli do? And of course, the how dare you is directed at the executive. But center. it's it's different. I know what you're saying. It's different if they're doing a straight call of the game and ESPN is doing this a lot. Fox was doing this some in the college football season i think they're still doing it some of the college basketball season without having the main game broadcasters at the arena that instead they have them in a studio somewhere else watching on a big 4k tv and calling the game or in a home setting watching on their high def or 4k tv calling a game when it's the main broadcast the straight broadcast because everybody knows on the manning cast everybody knows when pat mcafee was doing his a shtick with uh, with the college games and the college football playoff games. If they're doing all these alternate broadcasts, they're not they're not legitimately calling everything right. that's happening in the game. It's more conversational. Yeah. They're doing interviews while the game is going on. So, uh, to me, that uh, that is where conferences in college basketball should step up. And should say either you're broadcasting our games from on site or we're going to have somebody else broadcast the games. I, I know ESPN is the Goliath. And part of their argument is for a lot of these, a lot of these broadcasters, not enough interest and we can save money and do it right for all of uh, or most of the rest of them. But you're talking about a nuance of those announcers, whoever they were that were calling that women's game, they're tasked with calling the straight broadcast of that game. Yeah. They should be there, John. I'm standing up for my fellow broadcasters, my fellow play-by-play people. They yeah. should be there. It's a it's a cop-out excuse that it's right. not for COVID safety. Let's call it what it is. It's bean counters trying to save money because on a women's broadcast or on a, on a whack men's basketball broadcast or a secondary network broadcast for the yeah. ACC network or the SEC network, they want to save money. Yeah, And, the, and they have home studios. To be yeah. able to save money. Yeah. I mean, you know, they should be there. I mean, but again, I just keep coming back to the fact that we know that they're, I know they're not the traditional broadcasts, but there are sports broadcasts that people watch and enjoy. Of course. People who are anchoring them are not there. I mean, even for the NBA, like the Rockets Lakers game on MLK Day, uh, Matt Weiner and I guess it was Brendan Haywood, they weren't physically there and NBA TV is almost always used announcers in a studio calling a game off a monitor mm -hmm. well before COVID, including playoff games. And I hated it. I hated it when they would do that. And I still don't like it. Like, I don't like this stuff, but I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I wonder how much of that is. And if you're an announcer, like, you know, the great Sean Grandy has, has said, you cannot call a game off a monitor and it be of any level of quality. And as a viewer, I feel that, you know, that you're getting that you're losing something as well. But I also wonder, like, how much of that, at least on the viewer side, uh, if an announcer feels that they cannot call a game at a level of quality from uh, off a monitor, I understand. But as a viewer, how much of it really is real? You know, in, in terms of our feeling like we're being shortchanged. I don't know.
A lot of good stuff here on different subjects with football, with calls of the game. Are you ready to get into some other stuff and do it yeah. the right way, how we finish up on the podcast? Let's go. Love it or leave it. Subject number one, as we release this podcast, an announcement appears to be imminent. The golf media has been buzzing for several days that the Live Golf Tour, which is the rebel or rogue uh, golf tour, the players that decided to leave for big-time money, uh, to play an alternative golf tour to the PGA Tour and the European Tour, or what's now known as the DP World Tour, what used to be the Euro Tour. Uh, the Live Golf Tour has a television deal imminent with the CW Television Network. Now, this is interesting, John, in that CBS used to be owned, uh, used to own the CW Network. CW was owned by CBS. It's primarily known for its entertainment uh, weeknight programming, not so much sports. But uh, actually, Next Star Communications, which has over 157 television stations in their television group now, bought controlling interest of the CW stations that are all over the country. So they own 75% of it. So this would be the outlet. You theorized previously what the network might be. You mentioned like a Fox Business Channel or some other network might be that would delve into this because there's so much controversy about Saudi government money and yeah. involvement in the live golf tour. All right. What's your reaction as apparently they have seven events right now on their schedule, planning 14 events for this year. It's going to start as soon as February that it will have a domestic American television partner. What's your reaction real quick? Waste of time. Uh, look, the reality of the matter is, this is the CW, the CW, as you mentioned, uh, CBS and, uh, Time Warner, I guess it was a combination of the WB and UPN. So they 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 took Seventh Heaven and Everwood and merged them with Moesha and half and half. And the, the reality, Flash, whatever well, else has been on CW recently. Yeah, forget all the recent stuff. I'm talking about the old days. You know, are you I'm talking, talking about, Dawson's Creek? Wasn't Dawson's Creek yeah, on Dawson's the CW? Creek, I don't even. Yeah, know. It was on the WB. Reba, oh, I think, right. was on okay. both. Maybe, I don't but, know. Yeah. You know, yeah, look, the reality is this. You, I'm glad you brought up the current shows. The current CW has now been taken over by Nexstar. Nexstar, of course, is a big station owner, owns a lot of affiliates uh, all over the country. And uh, they have a very interesting problem on their hands. They're trying to diversify that audience to include 55 years and up. And this is a channel that is exclusively watched, almost exclusively by 18 to 24, 12 to 24, primarily females. And like, obviously, right? What are we talking about here in terms of demographics? So it's interesting you said females because in, in the conversation, there's a CW uh, unnamed executive, I think, who's saying, who's not on the record, but is saying, or maybe it was an analyst that was saying this, that their younger demographic is what appeals to live golf. They want really? younger. Yes, they want younger they're trying to portray younger. Again, this yeah. is disruption. This is counter right. to the PGA Tour and the older demographic. They want some younger. It's interesting to me, though, that you point out that a lot of CW's audience is female. Not yeah. all of it, but a lot of it is. I don't I don't know. But they, they want a domestic partner. There is an all-out battle going on right now on can they legitimize, can they get some television numbers. Um, the next thing to watch in this, this is not going away. I mean, the PGA Tour is a billion-dollar industry with television partners. Their rights deal, I think I read, is $600 million a year. $600 million for the PGA Tour with all their rights holders. All right, the bigger part of this 
is if the major championships that the PGA Tour does not control, the Masters, the PGA Championship, the U.S. Open, or the and then the Open Championship or the British Open, if they're going to allow these live golfers to play, that's a humongous victory for those guys to be able to play in the major championships and play on the live golf tour. That's huge. PGA Tour was trying to stop that. You got a lawsuit that is making its way, making its way into the 2023 consciousness here uh, where the live golfers are saying this is this is anti-competition, anti-trust violation. They are simply trying to put the other golf tour out of business any way they can because they have a monopoly. This is a juicy story everywhere you turn, and now they have a television partner, it looks like. Whether it will have any audience, I don't know. So you're kind of leave it right now. I'm not yeah. – I'm loving the disruption. I'm loving the interest in growing the game of golf. You're saying leave it on the TV partner. I am. Look, the reality of the matter is that I can't see any growth of the young audience because, I mean, first of all, it's not, I mean, unless you're going to be airing these games or the, uh, these rounds in prime time on a Thursday night leading out of, you know, whatever <laughs> superhero show they've got. I mean, we're, people aren't used to tuning into the CW on a weekend afternoon at all. I'm right. not sure the CW has ever carried a weekend afternoon event. You'd have to go back to UPN and the XFL, right? Right, right. So, you know, I mean, it just seems like a huge waste of time. I still believe that Fox Business would have been the perfect partner because I don't think Fox Sports really wants, you know, you know, I don't think it works for Fox Sports. Fox Business, we, we have a tradition of sporting events on CNBC. Fox Business has aired overflow programming before. Demographically, that works, right? This is golf. You're not going to suddenly make golf more popular with younger viewers without there being, you know, a superstar to do it. I mean, you can change the game all you want, but it's going to take someone like Tiger Woods. And the fact that Tiger Woods couldn't really do it, if Tiger couldn't do it, you know, the Saudis are definitely not going to do it. I just don't think it, again, it just sounds like a waste of time. For next star, they're trying to age their audience. You know, they've got their News Nation thing. They're clearly they've got some strategy where they want to take the CW from being uh, a channel that is watched by, you know, only a small sliver of that young demographic anyway, because they don't watch traditional TV to a channel that takes advantage of the fact that older people are the ones still watching linear TV and, and appealing to them. So I understand the strategy from their point of view. From the Live Golf point of view, I just I don't think it's going to be what they want. All right. More to come on that. More to come on the announcement and what happens or doesn't happen with that. Let's move on. Love it or leave it. Another subject to cover. Very interesting that a lawsuit has been filed by former ESPN uh, reporter and a host for college sports. Uh, Allison Williams, she has been joined in the lawsuit by a longtime 30-year ESPN radio employee named Beth Farber, suing uh, the worldwide leader um, in Connecticut court for wrongful termination for the vaccine mandate that they had. Um, and it's interesting on a, on a lot of different levels. I will say just up front, first, first blush here, I love – this aspect, not that she's having to go to litigation or that both of them are having to go to litigation here, but just as somebody that had to go through this personally with if you want to work the NFL season in 2021, you have to take the vaccine to be able to go into the stadiums and do your jobs. Um, I, I didn't really have a choice. I did not really unless I didn't want to work at my job and didn't want to work in the NFL. 
So some of this, for some of the people who stood up and said, I should have been able to have a choice, uh, good for them. I'm loving that. Good for them because here's here's where history's the ultimate judge. Here's where the legal system can work for you. And good on them that they're going to go through the process and probably end up getting significant money out of ESPN as you re- as you read into this lawsuit and see what's going on. There's my thought. I'm I'm loving this, and there should be more of this. And by the way, there is more of this outside of sports. There is more of this with healthcare workers that are filing class action lawsuits, uh, airline employees, and others that are saying the the vaccine mandate that cost us our jobs has turned out to be con- complete hocus pocus here and we want back pay and maybe even back pay with interest and damages for what you put us through over all of this and that's what our country's founded on you got rights you got an opportunity to go use the legal system that's what allison williams doing okay those are i'm monopolizing this those are my feelings love it or leave it for you on what's going on with us so my thoughts are you know look uh so let me not provide my thoughts let me provide the counter argument that i'm sure people who would people would say well there's vaccine mandates for, you know, that have predated COVID that are just part of, you know, working in a certain environment or having your kids be part of school. Look, you know, my thoughts are, I don't necessarily know what the success is going to be for this. My personal thought would be, I have no problem with someone deciding what they want to do with their own body. I, 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 you know, I've, I've always been uncomfortable with the idea that, uh, I should have any opinion about what somebody decides to do with their body. The argument throughout all of COVID was that one person's decision about what they did with their body would impact everybody else. But truth be told, I I never really bought into that short of the idea that if you're sick, you stay home. Uh, The reality of the matter is that, you know, I feel that you have the right to do what you want with your body. But of course, there are consequences to that. I feel like just accepting the consequences and moving on. And obviously she's landed on her two feet. She's at Fox. It's not the same role she had, but it's still a pretty good role. Her career didn't take too much of a hit. You know, well, uh, fortunately, fortunately, in the short term, she did land on her feet. But there right. there are many others uh, that were forced to leave their profession that aren't high profile television personalities that are looking for the same recourse now, looking for back pay, looking for whatever. And I think it's interesting in a couple of aspects of the case. For example, she went to them, Allison Williams, this is in the lawsuit, this public record. She's also given interviews about this. She went to them and said that she and her husband were trying to have another child through fertility treatment. You're talking to somebody that lived this and did this with his wife. We did the same thing. And you have to be very careful with what else you're taking in addition to fertility drugs. She went to ESPN by her own admission, trying to say, this is a legitimate, valid reason why I have concerns about this untested long-term vaccine and what it might do. And they would have none of it. They denied her on it. She then came back afterwards with a religious exemption plea that they also denied. Uh, The interesting thing is that Beth Farber went with the religious exemption from the beginning. And Beth Farber, this is very interesting, was told by an ESPN human relations employee on the record (laughs) using her religion against her, that maybe God's plan for you is for you to work somewhere else. And I read that in the lawsuit and I cringed. That's that's probably someone I'm just saying on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast that isn't in ESPN's human relations anymore or or HR. 
Right. Uh, and and oh. uh, uh, goodness with that. So anyway, that's part of this that they went. They tried to plead their case. And we'll see how far it goes. We'll see yeah. if others join in. And she has another compelling yeah. part of this, John, and I want your feeling on this, yeah. that ESPN was allowing Mel Kuyper right. to work remotely on the NFL draft last year while not being vaccinated, was allowing Andre Ward to call boxing matches. I'm also big in the boxing world from his home while not being vaccinated and, and were both accommodated. And they're both men, by the way. Right. Allison Williams offered to be able to work remotely from home, like you were talking about earlier in the podcast. She even offered to be tested every day and wear a mask at every game and at every event that she was at and was told, nope, sorry, vaccine or else. That's all in the lawsuit. So I thought I would point all that out. Any final reaction before? Well, we I mean, you know, it's an interesting topic. The reality of the matter is, I I feel like the whole mandate thing was kind of a mistake. I, I think it kind of didn't work out the way that uh, was intended. I think I'll go a step further. Of, it uh, was a it was a mistake. It wasn't just kind of a mistake. It was a mistake. It caused all kinds of division. It caused all kinds of problems. And we now know we now know more than a year later, it did not do anything to stop the spread of infection. It did not do anything to stop those that were vaccinated from being infected it didn't and so i i think it's not just a maybe at this point on the on the mandate it was bad it was it should have been optional it should have been optional i'm just saying that as my opinion so you know my thought is so basically uh i think the whole trying to force people to do what you think is right never really works out well in general, I think there was a level of, you know, this is the right thing and you're part of the wrong thing. And there's a lot of Trump in there, too. You know, a lot of Trump is which is weird because Trump is actually pro vaccine. I don't really know how it works out, but <laughs> you know how it is. Uh, look, I think a lawsuit in this particular case, I understand that there's hard feelings. I just to me, make whatever decision you need to make for yourself but also understanding that you have to accept the consequences. Was it unfair that she lost her job and Mel Kuyper kept his? I'm actually going to say no. I'm going to say no, because Allison Williams is a sideline reporter and you can't do a sideline report from your home. You can't. Now, that's, well, that's Kuyper, true. Mel Kuyper can do whatever, you know, his whole thing. Mel Kuyper always works from home. It's only on the day of the draft. He's always working from his home. Studio. <laughs> Seems like it. Yes. COVID and everything. So uh, but what about I, the argument that Andre uh, Ward is supposed to be a ringside boxing analyst right. and they accommodated him while unvaccinated to sit in his home. But you can more than a year more and a half. easily. You can more. One of the things about those remote broadcasts from the COVID era, there were no sideline reporters remote. It was only the play-by-play and the analysts who were uh, remote because the whole point of the sideline reporter, you got to be on the sideline. You can analyze from home, but you can't get all the little nuggets and information that sideline reporters get. So Agreed. I I think, I mean, again, I don't feel as strongly about it as you do, but I I do think that I think it was a strategic mistake that ultimately did not have very much benefit mandating the vaccines. I think it just created a lot of uh, anger 
in reaction and maybe even some people deciding, well, I'm definitely not going to get it now who might've been on the fence. I don't know. All I know is it didn't have the impact. I've said this before on this podcast. It clearly failed to do what was intended, which was mm-hmm. to get like 99% vaccination. But again, you know, the beauty of, yeah, I mean, the beauty of accepting, you know, decisions is that you don't sue over them after, right? Like there's a lot of unfairness that happens. And I, I, I just feel yeah, but, like, Oh, but hold know. on. I know we're going to get bogged down here. Right. Wrongful termination has been around That's for true. decades. That's true. And if you believe you were wronged and you believe you should have had a choice, if you believe that a, for example, in this thing being alleged, if you believe that a human resources or human relations person is sitting across from you and making fun of your religion, while while oh. saying you got to leave and go somewhere else and you believe it was wrong, there should be recourse for that. For example, the Washington State football coach that was fired because of the vaccine uh, mandate by his school. Nick Rolovich is his name. He is suing them try because he was right. fired for cause without being paid his contract. It's a, it's a very public uh, thing that unfolded back in 2021. Uh, he's trying to sue to get his money. These you have the legal system, you have the civil court system for wrongful termination for whatever the the reasons are. I just I can't go along with across the board. Hey, you should just accept whatever they did and just move on All and right. go find another job if you believe you were wrongfully terminated. And there were, I mean, this is a scary thing. There were there were hundreds of doctors, nurses, and and others who either retired or were forced to resign and or fired all over the country because they were making an argument that I don't I don't believe this vaccine is going to make it any safer or any better. Right. We were previously working in the healthcare front lines without right. it while having to test while having to mask up, while having to take all the risks ourselves. We are the people on the front lines taking the risk, and they got fired anyway. Mm-hmm. They lost their oh. jobs anyway. Yeah, look, yeah. I mean, the reality is there was a lot of weird stuff that went on, a lot of sound and fury signifying not a whole heck of a lot. And uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't want to say that I could care less, but I just I'm over every single discussion of this, you know, COVID thing that we that has been part of our lives for three years and while i am i am sympathetic to people who lost their jobs because they didn't want to you know inject something I, I got the vaccine like you know the first chance i could get i'm not one of those people who you know would brag about it in my twitter handle or anything but i'm a hypochondriac and i didn't want to get sick and i didn't want my loved ones <laughs> to get sick so i got it the first chance i could get my employer required it let me tell you something, and mm-hmm. obviously I can speak a little bit more freely about this than I might have a couple of years ago. If if I disagreed with my employer about the efficacy of the vaccine, there's no way I would have gotten it. I would have just said, see you later. Right. Uh, I got it because I'm a hypochondriac, didn't want to get sick, didn't want my loved ones to get sick. That's why, that's why I got it. Sure. And so for me, you know, I, I I'm sympathetic to those who felt differently and were felt like they were pressured to get something that they didn't trust. I would never inject myself with something I didn't trust. Mm -hmm. I, I felt like it was the right thing for me and my family. And so, you know, I don't know, but I I will say uh, enough of this, you know, virus, enough of this COVID, enough of this discussion. And, uh, you know, maybe instead of continuing to 
you know, rehash it over and over and over again with lawsuits. I mean, I'm not saying let bygones be bygones, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not I, I'm, tr I'm trying not to say that I don't care, but I'm sick and tired of hearing about I'm sick and tired well, of hearing about COVID and vaccines. And I all understand. This stuff. I understand. But one more time and then we're moving on. Uh, the people that feel like they were wrongfully dealt with sooner right. or later, there needs to be a reckoning. There needs to be an accountability. Well, and that's what we're coming to now in 2023. We're coming to it from partially yeah. from 2022, but that's what we're coming to in 2023. There should be repercussions. There should right. be, if you believe you were wronged, there should be an opportunity if you okay. were wrong. I mean, we could go down the road. This, this is equal pay. If there if there's if there's not some repercussion for why do we not have equal pay, pay for men and women discrimination right. on the basis of whatever this is, this is the court system. This is being yeah. able to sue. This is being able to say I was wronged and it's wrong to treat people with whatever way right. uh, under the law, under what yeah. the law is. So, all right, we'll see what happens with that lawsuit. Let's wrap up on a couple of more just real quick. Yeah. Love it or leave it. The Big Ten commissioner is no more. He was introduced on Tuesday, Kevin Warren, as the president and CEO of the Chicago Bears of the NFL to now run that organization and in part lead their stadium efforts uh, to try to get a new stadium in suburban Arlington, Illinois, as opposed to legendary Soldier Field yeah. downtown on the lake. All right, love it or leave it on Kevin Warren leaving the Big Ten after only being there, what, three and a half years, something like that, led them yeah. through the TV negotiations, led them through a conference expansion with USC and UCLA. Love it or leave it here on his tenure and this decision. What do you make of it, John? Well, you know, it was a very eventful tenure, very successful in the second year anyway, getting the TV deal done and getting the expansion to UC USC and UCLA. So that worked out quite well. Not to rehash COVID yet again, but obviously that was a very failed comeback, a terrible return to play plan, having uh, Ohio State and Michigan in October, then December in between trying to cancel the season and pressuring other people to cancel theirs. And it just <laughs> uh, ended up with a... Isn't that part fast? Fascinating that Kevin yeah. Warren was under siege yeah. as the as the commissioner leading this charge with the presidents to not play the season. And now you turn it around to conference expansion with USC and, and UCLA and then a monster lucrative series yeah. of TV deals. And then his exit. He is now leaving to go run an NFL team. Yeah. I mean, he. I mean, I don't think he doesn't. If, if if the disaster had continued in the Big Ten, he right. doesn't last as the commissioner there, much less get the Bears job. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think the reality of the matter is, it, it needed to end. It, 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 you know, some ten years just need to be short. You know, there's nothing wrong with uh, spending two years in a place and then saying, "I got better things to do." Mm -hmm. And in the case of Kevin Warren, you know, uh, he. he the Big Ten had better things to do, and he had better things to do. They were better apart than together. Uh, even though they were able to have some success, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard spent one year in Toronto, and that was it. That was more. That was all he needed. Got that championship. Well, and in his and in his defense, the last two years, obviously, um, since the COVID nineteen crazy year of twenty twenty, the conference expansion, the lucrative TV deals, you can make a strong argument. He yeah. left it in a much better place. He than yeah. what it was and now if he they still got uh, Rutgers so <laughs> true but uh he he was part of the Minnesota Vikings and, and the building of their stadium U.S. Bank Stadium uh which has held Super Bowl Final Four that kind of thing and that's what's a big motive for the Bears right now is to get this new stadium 
in Chicago. Yeah. And I know you're regionally in the uh, Champaign-Urbana, Chicago, all of that in Illinois. That's a big deal right now for them. And Kevin Warren is now going to be part of that. So yeah, there we Chicago. go. Uh, there we go. Uh, there we go on that. All right. Do we have time for one more? Sure. I think we have time for one more. Love it or leave it. All right, I am big into the college basketball as you are with the uh, with the NBA bracketology. I'm I'm on the leave it end in January. Right. It's too soon, John. Yeah. Joe Lenardi on ESPN, last four in, last four out. There's no way to know in January. So much has still got to be played. So I, it's a subjective process from that committee. It's too soon on brackets on yeah. seeding the tournament right now and who's in who's out my thought you, you love it leave it is it fine for you um you know i mean bracketology uh i mean no one's really thinking about that are they i mean they they put those things out there but uh you know espn.com and espn's already pumping it they're already greasing the wheel january uh, yeah espn.com also tries to get you to watch clips of stephen a smith and some random guy arguing over nonsense <laughs> i mean you know whatever look the reality of the matter is nobody cares about anything related to college basketball until the end of the Big Ten tournament final in March. In uh, the final minutes of that game, that's when people tune in for the first. I wouldn't time. say nobody cares. Uh, I know they I know. they get. I know that you're just kind of playing around. They they get right. much bigger audience that weekend and for the yeah. March and for the no, selection well. show. Championship week does well, right? Uh, but you know, I mean, look, whether you talk about men or women, you know, I mean. It's, uh, it's it's like people right now. Can I equate it to putting out their early college football preseason top twenty-five in January? Yeah. How do you know with the transfer portal who's playing for right. who, who's going to the NFL? That hasn't been fully decided yet. Yeah. It's way yeah. too soon. Yeah, of course. But uh, people need content. You know, you True. can't uh, can't just leave. Uh, it's like you, it's like in you and your world projecting ratings for like the twenty twenty-four Olympics. Yeah. Well, how I do we know they're going to be pretty low? How do we? Yeah. But I mean, it's three years from now or actually it's a year from now. Excuse me. No, it's a year one, year, one year, one year, one year, a yeah. year from now, the 2020. But what if I said the 2028 Olympics or the oh, that's uh, going to be quite good. Los Angeles or right? the 2026 World Cup. That's going to be even better. America. You, know, you can yeah. easily project the ratings for those two. Now you're going against yeah. me <laughs> on this. Uh, did I get a it, bracketology? Leave it yeah. too soon. Leave it. Or well, you still love it. It's fine for the content. Um, I mean, I don't love it. I don't leave it. I don't even notice it exists. Okay. Uh, with all due respect to the great Joe Lenardi and whoever else does this, because I'm pretty sure other people do it. Uh, you know, uh, bracketology. I don't know. You know tell me who's going to win. You know, who, who's I mean, I don't, who's I don't, in the Sweet Sixteen? Yeah. Who's, who's in, in the, the Final 16? Four? That's sure, better than uh, that's better than yeah. who makes the field. Yeah, Florida State. Florida State will be there this year. Why not? Uh, no. I know they're not. They're not even losing good record. Yeah, yeah, losing record this year. They've It'll been be in the Florida tournament. State, They've been good uh, for years, but no, yeah. not them. But I mean, Florida State, but, Miami, and uh, I don't know, for the for the uh, for the Dukes and the Kansases and the Michigan States and the UCLA's, all the brands, the North Carolinas, the Kentuckys. I'm going to leave somebody out. Syracuse, the brand names of college basketball. Uh, it's a it's a big deal, but for all the rest on trying to figure out who's the the last four in on the bottom of the of the field of sixty eight, too soon on that. All right, uh, we've covered a bunch here on the program. Anything else, uh, or are we good? We talked a lot of NFL. We talked a lot of different subjects from live golf to the lawsuit uh, with ESPN and the vaccine mandate in Connecticut court. We'll see how that plays out. 
Anything else, or are we good, Dr. John Lewis? Um, you know, I think I think we're mostly good. Uh, you know, another big weekend coming up, big games in the NFL. Uh, I did want to say, you know, the NBA Martin Luther King Day games. Uh, I mentioned this on on Twitter. They should probably consider putting some of those games on ABC in the future next year because Monday Night Football is going to be on Christmas Day. ESPN and ABC cannot carry all five NBA Christmas Day games. Mm -hmm. So TNT, if the NBA wants to maintain its five-game schedule, will have to air some Christmas games next year. So in return, maybe TNT gives up what are really now very low-rated Martin Luther King Day games stuck in those afternoon time slots, give those up to ESPN and ABC. So that uh, at the very least, if you have to compete with the NFL, you want to do so on the same network as an appetizer, as a lead in, Uh, maybe strengthen the schedule a little bit. You could have a a one o'clock game on ESPN with Atlanta, maybe hosting, I don't know, Boston or something. Then the 330 game on ABC. Memphis is good. Memphis hosts MLK Day every year. Maybe Golden State Memphis and that rivalry uh, in that 330 window. You lead into the local news and then eventually into the NFL, all on the same channel. Pick up a few extra viewers. All right. And, and the ratings are not out yet because of no. the holiday and it will be, it blend in. What they will they be do horrible, though. Just well, just as a reference point, what did they do a year ago? What did they typically do? Because I don't know well, that answer. And a lot of people might be curious and they need to read your site to see the follow up. Go ahead. Yeah, well, back in the day before the NFL took over yet another day associated with another sport, uh, the Martin Luther King Day games were some of the most watched in an NBA season because the NBA would always schedule LeBron versus Golden State uh, in, in that uh, in that window. And if you go back to back when LeBron was uh, on, uh, on the Cavaliers, uh, the last year that they played Golden State Cleveland on MLK Day was like 4.7 million viewers, right? This is 2018, five years ago. Uh, and uh, the numbers were still pretty solid up until uh, the NFL got involved. And back in 21, it was around 2.3 million, maybe a little bit higher than that because of the undercount. Uh, last year, 707,000 and 908,000. So ni- neither game got to the million viewer mark in those earlier windows with lower profile matchups in the NFL overshadowing the NBA. All right, there's a reference point again, Reed John. Site for all the latest on the ratings. He's fantastic with that. I always love talking with you. We spent a while here covering a bunch of different subjects. Thank you for that. Uh, we remind the audience as well uh, that there's great stuff on the feed. George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know with Chris Chelios, part one. His his final season of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know with the Chicago flair to sports yeah. media. He's going to have uh, Jason Benetti, who we just interviewed hey, in a subsequent upcoming one. Professor Benetti, I love him. Uh, yeah. Fox Sports Now, formerly ESPN, and the Chicago White Sox broadcast. Uh, he's also got Joe Madden, the former Cubs uh, and and Rays manager, the World Series winning manager of the Chicago Cubs. And I think Joe Madden would be great on TV at some yeah. point. Let's see if they end up using him. He's an interview subject. Check out George's podcast. Tell me a story. I don't know. It's immediately preceding this feed with Chris Chelios. Mike and Phil with the announcer schedules podcast to be out later in the week. Other than that, John Lewis, have a great rest of the week. We'll be reading you on the site as well, my friend. All right. You do the same. We thank you for listening to us. I'm merely TJ Reeves on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Bye. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. 
Save me.